Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. As we've been going through this epistle, second epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, which I have um, overall titled Embracing Affliction, because in this epistle, Paul really speaks throughout it. There are a lot of other theologies and things that we're focusing on as we come through this, but the overall message coming through this thing is all about the afflictions that, as believers, we face in life and how we are to address them, how we are to see them, how we are to view them. And so we spent that first Sunday, if you remember, as we went into this, discussing what, in fact, are biblical afflictions. And we looked at the word phlebo and phlipsis, the Greek words for the the verb and the noun of those and what the afflictions were. And we saw how the idea of it is to be really pressed, 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 and, um, that, and being squeezed and beyond what we're able to bear. But then, more, per, more um, importantly, we saw then the purpose of the afflictions, and that was that Greek word parakaleo, which is translated as um, consolation and comfort um, in many of the English translations, but better is to be translated encouragement or exhortation. Literally, again, it means to call alongside. Para, like paragraph, along the writing of, so along, and then kaleo, to call, to call alongside. And so it's, it's God calling us alongside of himself. We're down, we're depressed, we're struggled, we're, we're whatever, we're crying out to God saying, I don't know how I'm going to go through this. And God just says, come here, buddy, come here. I got you covered. Let me be with you. But it's also the, the negative side of exhortation. We don't, you know, encouragement is kind of positive. Exhortation we kind of see as, it's still positive, but we kind of see it as negative, right? It's the kick in the butt when we need it. Make sense? It's not a, I'm spanking you. It's the, it's the you, you got more in you, and now keep moving, Right, And so there's times when God just kind of calls me up alongside just to kind of do this. Keep moving. You got this. And that's what afflictions are. Afflictions are opportunities for me to experience then the encouragement and expectation of Christ in my life. In order that I might represent him better, So that when people in the world are facing their troubles, trials, tribulations, afflictions. Because again, in this world you will have afflictions. You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Remember the word cheer there really should be courage. Okay, Be of good courage. I have overcome the world. And so that as we live in this world, it ought to... Our relationship with Christ ought to totally transform how we see everything. I'm eternal. I'm not finite. You can't kill me. You can stop my tent, and one day my tent will cease to function on this earth, but I will not die. Believest thou this? You're an eternal being. Whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter. You're an eternal being. The only question is, where are you going to spend the eternity? Are you going to spend it in His presence, or are you going to spend it apart from His presence? Or in that dark loneliness, where God gives you exactly everything you wanted. But you find out that what you wanted isn't really what you wanted. 
And if you know Him, and you know you're the eternal being, then it ought to transform everything about your life. This isn't what I'm living for. If this is it, it's pretty wasted. But eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love Him. Isn't that kind of cool? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Draw in Romans 8 with that, because you are a joint heir with me. Because in the fullness of time, Galatians chapter 4, because in the fullness of time, when, when all this happened, God sent forth His Son to be born of a virgin, to be born under the law, that He might redeem those who are under the law, that they might receive what? Adoption. Do you get it? Adoption. You are a child of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the... Sons of God. And such we are. Therefore, the world does not know us. Because it didn't know Him. And those who have this confidence, they seek to purify themselves, even as He is pure. It changes everything about you. If you really know it and you really believe it, it changes everything, your whole life, your whole direction. I understand that as his child, as a joint heir with Christ, that he's given me a special privilege then to be an ambassador. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm just here on loan. Isn't that kind of cool? I didn't know that for the first 23 years of my life. I lived for myself. And then he came to me. He began the good work in me. And so Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says that he who began the good work in me before good work in you will what? Will continue it until the day of Christ. How cool is that? I don't have to worry about it. So as we looked at that, we then looked on and continued on with Paul's boasting in his desire to relieve their sorrow. Now I'm bringing this up because what we're going to see, and so I'll jump back into this in a moment, that this chapter is going to bring everything back to what he began his letter with. Everything else in between here has been like additional foundational stuff kind of thrown in there to, to describe all the afflictions and that kind of stuff. So all that theology isn't what the letter is about. It's just good stuff that he's throwing into to help us understand how afflictions happen in our life and why we should be handling them the way we should be handling them. Okay, And so we then saw, after that, the superiority of the new covenant. I'm not under the law anymore. Because the law was physical. It was temporal. It only had a certain glory, but the glory of the new covenant is much better. And under the new covenant, now the law is written, where? In my heart and in my mind. I don't do it because I have to do it. You get it? I understand that the law, that the word of God is not God trying to limit me, but love me. He knows what's outside the fences. He says, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to go out there. Father Adam 
took a bite. And sin passed on to all of us, and death passed because of that, death passed on to all of us. But with that, it was the knowledge of sin, good and evil. Yeah, you're right, good and evil, but sin. And in that, then, we have this want to what? Disobey God. We got this want to sin, this struggle. And so what was the purpose of the law? To show us our sin. That's the purpose of the law. It was just to show us how wayward we were so that we would be drawn to him in his grace that he would save us, he would deliver us. We're going to talk about that today. Then we moved into the promise of eternal life. That was there. And note that you can see it's chapter 3 and 4, chapter 4 and 5. Because again, this is a letter that didn't have chapters. Paul didn't write chapters. Paul wrote a letter. We've chapterfied it. Yes, it's a word. I just said it. You guys use it. Put it in print. And we can get it put into the dictionaries. Okay? Chapterfied. Okay? And so, so we have, as human beings, we've chapterfied God's word and versified it. And we've made it all this kind of stuff. But Paul just wrote a letter. Make sense? And so there are themes that run through, and we're kind of blending themes as we come. And so I'm beginning this message in verse 1, though not really talking about it, but I'm going to really go back into verse, chapter 6 for a moment here, and I'm going to bring it in because the, 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 the theme, again, continues to run forward. Makes sense? It's not like, okay, he stopped, and he said, okay, now we're going to start talking about this. Stop. Okay, now we're going to talk about it. Okay? That's going to be really fun when we do the book of Proverbs because we're going to be, like, all over the map when we do that. Okay? But then last week, David spoke on the effects of the grace of God, and he spent, I listened to the message already, he spent almost the entire time on verse 1, okay? And so, but that's okay, because I'm the one who titled that message way back, okay? He just got to preach it. Because it's all about grace and the effects of grace. Because of, because of his grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Good. Some of you remember that. Okay. That's he shared that. Okay. God's riches at Christ's expense. The reality is we have salvation because of that. I wasn't, it's was like, wow, Bob, look at him. Whoo. He is awesome. I'm going to save him. And nothing to do with me. It was all about his grace. But then his grace goes beyond that into the sanctification. And so if you look at chapter six, again, as we run into this, okay, you'll note where Paul started there in verse one and he says, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Okay, And then he goes through this laundry list of um, things that are not giving offense in anybody, verse, verse 3, in anything, that our ministry be not be a blame. And, and he and goes on, and he has three groupings. I don't know if you can see mine. I like to kind of paragraphize things, and I know I'm making a lot of words here. Okay, And, um, and so you've got all these ins, and you've got these bys, and then you've got these asses. Do you see them? As you read in your Bible, you can see them there, okay? And so, verse 4 to verse 5, you got the ends. Verse 6 and verse 7 and 8, you got the buys. And then the end of verse 8 into verse 10, you got the asses, okay? In much patience, and tribulations, and needs, and distresses, and stripes, and imprisonments, and tumults, and labors, and sleeplessness, and fastings. By purity, by knowledge, by longsuffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of the truth, by the power of God, by the armor of the righteousness. Um, on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we believe, and there's these doublets that are going on there, as chastened yet not killed, as sorrowful yet, yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things, right? And he goes on, and he comes then to this command in verse 14, that's as a result of all that, and he says, therefore what? There's no therefore, therefore, but it's there. Do not be 
unequally yoked. And then he summarizes it then in verse 1 of chapter 7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There is a result that happens in my life. Okay, so we're having this, again, this other theology here. You know, we're talking about New Covenant Old covenant, new covenant, eternal life, and the, the, how the body decays. And then we're talking about the grace of God. But all of this, again, is to build the foundation to come back to the discussion on afflictions. Because of God's grace, because of everything he's done, Paul says, I, was, I went through all that. And it was okay. Because I don't think like the world thinks anymore. It's totally okay. It's totally different. I'm willing to go through these things through God's grace. And so as believers, then, we need to have a desire to not be unequally, what? Yoked. Not to be pulled down. That goes back to that Philippians 1 thing. Or Philippians, I'm sorry. Psalm 1. Where... Um, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Why? Because he becomes unequally yoked. And as he becomes unequally yoked, he gets to be torn down. He didn't start off as the, as the mocker. He didn't wake up one day and say what? Huh, you know what? I think I'm going to mock God today. I don't believe there's a God anymore. No, it began as a process. He was walking along and he met an individual. And he listened to him. And then he listened to him more. And he listened to him so much and it started to tickle his ears and he sat down with him. And all of a sudden he started to think the same way. But his delight is in the what? Law of the Lord. And his law doth he meditate day and night. Why? So he can be taught by God. So that everything, his life changes. The way he thinks is transformed. It's not going to be transformed. Listen, y'all. Your life, your, the way you think isn't going to be transformed unless you allow God to transform your mind. Steve, appreciate that. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living, not dead, living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. Some of you says reasonable act of service, and that's because it's the word letreo, which is worship service, kind of like we're having a service right now. We're serving God in worship, if you would. That's kind of the idea why it's called a worship service, okay? But that's the idea that, that I serve God with my very life. Well, how do I do that? By not being conformed to the world, but rather being transformed, metamorphosed, in the renewing of my mind. Why? That I can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you get it? But I can't do it unless my, my mind is transformed. And that's not going to happen unless I what? Offer my body as a living sacrifice. If I want to play life by my own rules and I want to do my own thing, it's not going to happen. You know, people think, well, I'm a believer. I know all these. No, really? How much time do you spend in God's Word? And so, again, I appreciated that, that testimony because it is sad that with pastors, that pastors don't even spend time in God's Word. I made a commitment many, 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 many years ago that my quiet time is not for you all. It's been challenged to me lately because now I send my quiet time thoughts to six different people and it's growing. And so, um, but that's okay. But it's still mine. I, I, I warn them as I do it. Look, I'm not writing for you. I'm not, this is my quiet time. And I'm just, I'll, I'll text it out to you what my notes were. 
and this it's an accountability thing, okay? So if you want to do that with me, you, accountability, you can do that. It's an accountability thing. That means if I'm not receiving anything from you, I know that you're not doing quiet time. Does that make sense? And if you're not receiving anything from me, that means what? I didn't do my quiet time. So you ought to keep me accountable as well. Does it make sense? Okay? And so, um, but anyways, so, but in that, it's, it's sadful for me, and I'm not referring to those guys, but other people, as I talk to them as well, that don't spend time in God's Word. And how much even sadder it is when I talk to pastors. So recently, and I'm not going to say where it was and how it was, but you're going to know the, the, the conversation. I talked to a pastor, and, and it was about Lot's wife. Okay, And I just heard him share the, the classic stuff about Lot's wife turned to stone because she looked back at the, the malls. So, no. so, turned, what did I say? Stone, ah, salt, stone, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, it's all one and the same. She stood there. Anyway, she turned to salt, okay? But no, good catch, okay? She turned to salt because she turned around to look back at the malls. Have you ever heard that preached that way? Some of you are saying yes. Okay, anyways, I, I, I went up and I, and I talked to him later and I said, um, can I just challenge you on that? that that's, that's really, probably isn't why she looked back. What? I said, what did Abraham have his conversation with, with Yahweh about? Would you do this? Would you do that? Would you do that? And he negotiated with God, right? Started at 50, got down to 10, and he stopped at 10. There's a reason he stopped at 10. Now, if you're just reading God's word and you're studying God's word and you're asking God to open up my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law, God will do that for you. I promise. He'll lead you into all truth. Okay? There's a reason he stops at 10. Well, you go over then to where Lot, then the angels are there with Lot, and, and, and so he's there with his wife and his what? Two daughters, right? And the men are banging on the door because they want the angels. They don't know they're angels, but they, they want these men and they want to know them carnally, right? And he says to them, not necessarily a good testimony, but it was said, hey, no, they're under my protection, but here you can have my two daughters who what? How does he define them? They have known no man. They have not known a man. But then the angels, when they go to take them out, says, hey, now go out to the ones that you have in the city. You know, your son-in-law. Well, it's not the, the, the husband of one of those two because they have not known a man. And if it was the son-in-law, where would they be? With him. Roger that. So now he got a son-in-law, which means that if he had a son-in-law, he had a what? Another daughter. And then it says, in sons, plural, and it is in the Hebrew, Sons, plural. So now you've got at least two sons and potentially daughter-in-laws. And then he says, in daughters, which the word there could actually be daughter-in-laws. The idea, though, is if you just take simple math, you calculate from that, those two verses, verse 8 and verse 12, that there are ten people. Say again. Without the wife. No, including the wife. So you get the wife and the two daughters. Anyways, including everybody, including Lot himself. He's got ten people in the city that he has. This is just free. You get it? But the point was, when I shared this with this guy, his first question to me was, where did you read about that at? Where, where can I find that? Where can I, where can I read about that at? Who, you know, what book did you read it? And I looked at him and I said, in the Bible. He wanted to know a commentary because that's what he studied out of. That's what he taught out of. Folks, if all you're doing is reading devotionals and reading commentaries, it's like eating regurgitated meat. Would you rather have the worm 
or the one that the mother spits into the, the baby, baby bird's mouth? If you're going to eat worms, I'd rather have the real worm, wouldn't you? Oh, you what? You'd rather have a gummy worm. Yeah, anyway. So would you rather have me eat the gummy worm first? No. Okay, there we go. All right. So <laughs> I'll eat a blended flavors of them. I'll make it into a really multitude thing. Okay. Anyways, but hey, listen, do you realize that's all you're getting right now? I've been eating. I've been feasting. And you're not getting everything I'm feasting on. All you're getting is a little bit of back. That's not a great picture, huh? You'll be thinking about that all day. You know, when you have lunch today, just remember what you're doing. Okay? But how much more better it is to be reading God's Word itself. Does that make sense? He wants to use His Word in your life to, to cause you to grow in His grace and knowledge. Come out from them and be separate. Don't think like the world thinks. The world continues to go to pundits to help, help them to think. I don't care about that stuff. I made a decision. I, I don't read commentaries. The only time I go over commentaries, and I do every once in a while, is to make sure that I'm not going out in left field if I feel like I'm, I see something that's totally different than what I know I've been told over, over the years. Make sense? But I've changed a lot of the things that I have been taught, you know, because it's God's Word. Does it make sense? It's, it's there, and I'm not going to deny it. Anyways, to be reading God's Word is very important, Okay. So we get into this chapter 7 where he's going to bring all this back to them, okay? And if you noted in chapter 6, I meant to mention, highlight this as we came through it. In chapter 6, um, verse 11, when he's done giving all the ins and buys and as's, verse 11 he says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are, you are restricted by your own affections. Well, he starts this off then in, in uh, chapter 7. I'm going to start at verse 2. With the same plea, open to us. Note your heart is in the talisies. It's not there, but it probably is what it means, okay? Because he's going back to this thing that he just stated to them, okay? And he says, open to us. The idea of the word there is to, to make space for, to receive us, to accept us, okay? And so, in other words, you're, you're being a little bit tight right now, and you just need to kind of open it up a little bit. Open, open to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. So he says, consider our testimony. Oh, consider our testimony. We have wronged no one. We've corrupted. The word corrupted there is the word that is used in the New Te- or Old Testament for the word defiled. In other words, we haven't made anybody unclean. Now, this is a big deal, because go back to the Old Covenant, New Covenant thing, right? By my teaching and by my life, I haven't what? I haven't made you defiled, unclean. That's exactly right. Unacceptable to God. Then he goes on, he says, we have cheated or defrauded no one. Okay? In other words, we haven't done this for the sake of money. Secondly, consider our, test, our, our motivation. Verse 3, I do not say this to condemn you. Okay? Big word, condemn. We saw this in chapter 3 when we were talking about the Old Covenant. What was one of the things the Old Covenant does? It condemns. Make sense? So he's taking all these themes that he's just talked about, and he's bringing them back out. He says, I'm not saying this to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts. And then he defines what he means by that. To what? To die together and to live together. I love the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia 
can best be described as camaraderie, okay, or by the, the three musketeers, all for one and one for all. Okay? The idea is that we live together, we, we die together. Okay? That should be the church. How sad it is that we know, to be honest, Jesus comes to Peter and says, Peter, Peter do you love me? Agapao me. Peter says, Lord, I follow you. He was honest. We're called to have agapao love, selfless love for one another, but we don't. We have phileo love. As long as I have enough for myself, I'm willing to give to you. But if I have to give to you what would be ultimately mine, I hope you can find it someplace. I'll pray for you, brother. If there's only enough food for me or you, it's mine. Agapao love says if, if there's enough, only enough food for me or you, it's yours. I want you to think about that. That's hard because we want to have a benevolence fund. We don't have one. We just give. We want to have a benevolence fund in churches, and we want to, we want to put that into the budget. Sorry, we've already given out the $200 the year that we want to give. I'm, I'm mocking, okay? As trying to make a hyperbole there. But the point is, we think that way. That's the way the world thinks. Does that make sense? And we can't do that. So Paul says, look, man, I... You're in my hearts to die together and to live together, just the same way it was with, with um, Jesus. It says Romans 6, verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. Second Timothy two eleven says, Now this is a faithful saying, For if we died with him, that is Christ, we shall also live with him. Thirdly, consider our boasting. He goes on in verse 4, Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. Look, if I didn't think about you, if I didn't care about you, would I be boasting about you? Andrew, I said it's nothing but Andrew. Andrew wrote, touched my heart, a phenomenal paper yesterday on the fly, on the cuff. He had no idea what the topic was going to be for this scholarship thing that he was at. And they gave him a, a, a topic of, of an influential person, da 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 da. And it was on Spock, so you can take that for whatever it's worth, okay? <laughs> That's Bob's influence. Anyways, <laughs> but the, 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 le- the, the, the paper that he wrote was phenomenal. And so much that Anna said, it doesn't sound like you wrote it. <laughs> now, I couldn't have been plagiarism because they're in a, in a, in a, they're in a, a room by themselves. But I'm thinking, man, the Holy Spirit got a hold of you and, and made you write things from your... Anyways, and so that's cool because the Word of God in you transforms the way you think and is into everything. Does that make sense? And so, so as it goes into this, I want to I brag on it. Does it make sense? Because it's something he did. Okay? That God used him to do that. That's Paul talking about the Corinthians. Look, I've bragged about you everywhere. If I really didn't care about you, would I be bragging about you? Not at all. He says, but I'm bragging on you. I'm boasting on your behalf. I am filled with perichalasis, with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation, Philipsis. Why? Because of you. It's, you have made this all worth while. I get that. I get that. The church is now what? 17 years old? Almost. There were a lot of hard years. But I look out and I see what God's doing. And you know what? The years of having five jobs at a time and all that kind of stuff, it's like but a, a mist in the past. Do you get it? And you realize, you know what? It's all worthwhile. And I do it 
all again. Now, I wouldn't choose the path, <laughs> but I would do it all again, knowing what I know now. Does that make sense? And that's what basically Paul's saying, okay? And he gets into his encouragement then, to them, talking about then remembering the purpose of afflictions. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were, again, flebo, we were afflicted, we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. I don't have time to get into all that. But they were coming from the outside. They were coming from the inside. Remember, he said back in chapter 2 that he was even to the point of wishing that he'd just die. Okay? So, I mean, he, he gets it. Nevertheless, verse 6, God who comforts Perikaleo, the downcast, comforted Perikaleo, us, by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the consolation, Perikalesis, with which he comforted Perikaleo in you. Note why reason I brought all that back. All these themes are being all brought back in together again, okay? When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. And so there was the rejoicing in the midst of tribulation. I remember the purpose of my afflictions. I know what this is all about. And I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go forward with it. And now, in the midst of it all, I just rejoice. I rejoice. Because now I got the testimony that you guys are sticking to this thing. And... In spite of my ignorance, in spite of my stupidness, in spite of... And I think this, Tom, you know, I mean, you guys coming today is like really like remarkable to me. It's like, I know you, not you, Elijah, behind you. Anyways, <laughs> Elijah's going, man, I've been coming. Anyways, <laughs> so you, you came once before, but you listened on the web, and now you even came anyways. Like, why do you come? You guys need some psychological treatments. Anyways, so... <laughs> People laugh, because I'll listen to myself on the web, and sometimes I think to my, myself, I think, ooh, oh, that was really bad. Anyways, um, <laughs> don't laugh at me, Brazos. Anyways, I'm just, if nothing else, I'm going to be honest about it, okay? So, but th- this, is, this is really kind of cool, because it makes it all worthwhile. Does it make sense? Please, not about me. Don't come up. I don't need my head swelling, okay? But when other people bless you in testimony time or whatever, let them know that. Let them know that. Man, that was a blessing to me. Because some people, it takes a lot of gumption for them to even speak during testimony time. Does that make sense? And, and, and there's a, a point where they want to glorify God. And so if it spoke to you, and that's 1 Corinthians 14. That's why we do it. 1 Corinthians 14 says that we ought, when the body comes together, it's not about Bob. It's about God. And it's all about what God is doing in everybody's life. And so people come with a testimony. Okay? And so if, that, if God uses it to bless you, thank the person. Okay? Praise God as well, but thank the person for, for being willing to, to serve him. So rejoicing amidst the tribulation. That's, that's Paul sharing that. But we want to move into the second part. I haven't got much time, so I've got to fly through this. But this is really the theme of the whole message here. Um, godly sorrow leads to repentance. And in this last section, this is the, you're going to see this godly sorrow thing over, 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 over again. Okay? Verse 8. So, for even if I made you sorry, lupeo, that was the word that came from chapter 2, with my letter, I do not regret it. Okay? Though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, lepeo, all these are lepeos, okay, that by your sorrow, led, but that your sorrow led to repentance, metanoia, that you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So I read all that so we can move forward here on this quickly. But note, he's going to start with this contrast of godly sorrow, comparing it to worldly sorrow, okay? 
in that the, there's a pathway that he shows us then of godly sorrow. Godly sorrow, if you have godly sorrow, we'll talk about this as we come through it, okay? It's going to lead to repentance, which is metanoia, which means to change the way you think, okay? Meta, change, noia, nuos, thinking, mind. Changing your mind, changing the way you think. So godly sorrow will lead to you changing the way you think about what? Whatever is bringing the sorrow. That's going to ultimately lead to deliverance. That's our word salvation, soterion, okay, which doesn't mean every time you see it, eternal salvation. I'm not saved because I went through bad times and I came out of it with a good spirit. I get to go to heaven. Why? Well, because I had this really rotten time in my life, but you know, I just came out of it good. That doesn't make any sense. That's not theology. The word soterion literally again means to be delivered. So I'm in that car wreck. The car's on fire. You come up. You don't really realize it's me, but you pull me out anyway, right? And you rip me out. We go to the side. The car goes, <laughs> you became my savior. I'm not going to heaven because of it. But at the moment, you saved me from the peril that I was in. That's what Jesus did for me. But... What Jesus did for me was eternal peril. Do you get it? It's eternal salvation. Well, the reality is that what we're talking about here is that godly sorrow leads to a changing in the way I think, which then will change to a deliverance in my actions. So Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do you know what came just before that? He said that. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. Oh, work salvation. No, it's work out your own what? Deliverance. Work out your own deliverance with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God's working in you. He's putting the oomph, the desire to do things in you. And if you heed it, if you listen to the Spirit in you, right, then what's going to happen? You'll be delivered. You'll see the evil ahead, you'll avoid it, and you'll be delivered from that. But if you reject it, what's going to happen? The fool heads headlong into it. Does that make sense? So that's exactly what's being pointed out. So godly sorrow, when something happens, when I fall into sin. So let's take it into a sin thing at this moment, okay? I, I sin. Does anybody here not sin? 